One of the questions that we put out over social media this week is about messages that are getting through to you. What messages get through to you? How do you sort out what messages to pay attention to and what you can safely dismiss? And that made me think about uh, your average trip to the mailbox. See if I can jump forward here. What's your experience of collecting the daily mail? Because in our family, I'd say we have two very different experiences. When I go out to the mailbox, my expectations are pretty low. If I open up the mailbox, it's usually bills to pay, junk mail, mail that's addressed to former people that lived in our house that no longer live there. So probably like three quarters of the mail in the mailbox, as I'm walking back to the house, ends up in the recycling bin. Before, I don't even need to open it, I just tear it in half and drop it in the recycling box. On the other hand, my daughter Josie has a very different experience with the mail. In fact, Josie regularly will check for the mailman to come two or three times in the same afternoon. So go out and see if, if there's anything in there. The difference being that when I pull you know, junk mail or bills from the mailbox, Josie probably every day, every other day, pulls these beautiful letters with you know, hand-addressed um, names on the front and colorful envelopes and stationery from all of the people that she personally writes to and write letters back. And sometimes there are photos in those letters or there are drawings or even stickers inside. I mean, when was the last time you got a sticker in the mail, right? I think that would change the way I think about mail if, if I got stickers. When it comes to, to sort of sorting out the, the messages that are coming our way, December is kind of an intense month, right? There's, there's so much information, so much messaging, so much on our minds, so many things to keep track of. And there's a risk that with all of the, the messaging coming our way that we we lose track of, or, or we might not even really expect much of what's coming our way to be news of any consequence, anything to pay attention to. Just stuff to, to sift and sort and move on with. But I wonder if there's a way as we come to the word of God this morning that we could recover that sense of anticipation. That sense that, that something you know handwritten, something deeply Personal, probably no stickers, but still personal and addressed to us might be coming our way. That that kind of message might be waiting for us in this morning's passage. As we continue into Luke's gospel, we see that God in Luke chapter 1 in particular, into Luke 2, is in the business of delivering messages. His word is going out and it's properly and personally delivered, especially by Gabriel and his angelic messengers. But while God is faithful to, to send these messages, how they are received depends largely on, on the recipient. The messages of God, the word of God, could be ignored. Sometimes his message is questioned. Sometimes his message is misunderstood. But in a few occasions, his message is given a, a generous welcome, a hospitable reception. 
So I, I want us to approach the text and consider how would we receive these words today. As we do that, let me, let me pray for us. Lord, as we come to the scriptures, we believe in faith that these are your words, not only for, for all of humanity, but specifically for us and to us today. And so may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, be appropriately responsive and receptive to you. We ask your Spirit's help, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Luke 1.26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Mary, the Lord is with you. Pause there for a second before we see the rest of what the angel says. Last week, we, we saw Gabriel's visitation to Zechariah and the message that he gave Zechariah both about, about Zechariah, but more specifically about his wife, Elizabeth, and that she was to conceive a child. And now we have Gabriel appearing here to Mary. And it's, it's hard not to compare these two stories, these two announcements in Luke 1. And I think Luke actually wants us to compare them. He's, he's written them, the way he's recorded them are almost in parallel. If you line up the, the two accounts, the wording, the language, the details, they're, they're like kind of mirror image stories. They're similar in many respects, but I think their high degree of similarity also helps expose or helps point out where they are different so that we notice those differences, especially. And the differences have to do with who they're sent to and how they respond, how they receive the message. Now, if you think about it, if you're going to predict who might get an angelic visitation, who might see, you know, a, a message or hear a message from the Lord, Zechariah probably has pretty favorable odds, right? Zechariah's job, his vocation was to be a priest, right? To intercede between God and the people. Zechariah regularly visited the temple as, as a priest. And the moment that Gabriel appears to Zechariah, he's in a sacred place. He's in this holy sanctum, right? He's, he's only a few feet away from what the, the Israelites considered the holiest place on the face of the earth. He's, he's just beside the Holy of Holies, offering incense. And so it seems like if God has news to break, this is the place to do it, and Zechariah would be a likely candidate to break it through. But even though Zechariah is in the right place and has the right credentials and the right vocation, Zechariah stumbles over the news he's given. And we could speculate why that's the case. Probably it has to do with Zechariah's own history. And, and Pete shared some of this last week. 
there's probably a significant amount of pain, of disappointment, of, of failed expectations in Zechariah and Elizabeth's past that are, that are in the way of, of him being ready to hear Gabriel's message when he comes. And that's okay. The angel sees this and recognizes it, and he gives Zechariah nine months, nine months of silence to, to lean into that healing and that growth process that God needs to, to bring about in their lives together. But that's Zechariah's story. Now we pick up here in verse 26. And we see that Gabriel is dispatched again from, from the heavenly realms. And this time he's sent with news of even greater importance. But instead of going to Jerusalem, instead of going to the temple, instead of going to the high priest, Gabriel goes to a girl that's likely 11 or 12 years of age, living in the cultural backwater of Nazareth, right? a town sort of on the, the edge of, of Roman occupation and in Roman settlements and colonies up in Galilee. And it's given to this young woman who's just on the cusp of entering adulthood. Most scholars would say, you know, at this time in, in Israel's history, first century Israel, most women who were betrothed like Mary to, to be married were, were given to betrothal usually at 11 or 12 before they entered puberty before they became able to have children. So if you want to visualize Mary, if, if Mary was a part of our JCC congregation, she'd probably be a student in our middle school Bible study. Okay, that's, that's the, the age and the sort of life stage that she's receiving this news at. And it's, it's hardly the person we'd expect to be deciphering divine oracles from angels, right? And pronouncements for the history of God's people. But that probably shows how much we know. It reveals the kind of wisdom that we possess. Because look at Gabriel's words to Mary in verse 28. The angel says to Mary, Rejoice. Rejoice because you have found great favor with God. And the Lord is with you. What would you do with that news? Just the first part there. Let's hold off on, on the baby stuff so far. What would you do if someone rang your doorbell tonight, you opened the door, and someone said, hey, you've never met me, but I'm here to let you know God is pleased with you. God is for you. God is gracious to you. God is delighted with you. Right, that's the, the language, the significance of the language here. And I just wanted you to know that he's here with you. He's working and active in your life now. Would you believe that message? Right, what, would, what would keep you from believing it? What would, what would have a hard time landing for you in that message? Well, I think Mary is, is chosen to receive this particular greeting, this particular message probably because she's still uncomplicated in some ways by, by self-doubt. Right? Because of her age, because of her station in life. 
She's not burdened with the same sorts of things Zachariah was. And she's, she's trusting enough to actually receive God's favor for her. She's actually you know, able to believe that God might mean what he says when he says it. And it might, it might strike us as, as far-fetched or not the way we would read this passage, but I would challenge us to read the words given to Mary here and apply them to our own lives. Because it turns out Gabriel's words are very much the same gospel message which Jesus will come, which Jesus is birthed into the world to speak over each one of us. Right, the word here for, for favor is, is God's graciousness. God's grace is for you. God's grace is extended toward you. God's presence is with you and over you. Now I wonder, is that message that God is gracious toward you and that God is with you, is that a message you are receiving right now? Do you regularly hear God speak those words to you? In order for us to both hear those words and then to appropriately receive them, I think is, is a difficult thing. Right? There's, there's, there's got to be a space within us, a space within our own souls to, to receive what God wants to do in us. And I see that described in verses 29 and following. Look with me at, at this part of the passage. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. It's that same message again. So you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be called, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So I see two, two things described in these series of verses. There's, there's the content of Gabriel's promise, and we'll get there in a second. But first in verse 29, I want us to notice what Luke tells us is happening inside of Mary. How she's responding as she hears and receives this message. Verse 29, the first thing it tells us is that this message that that the God of heaven has noticed Mary, has turned his attention toward her particularly and individually, is troubling to her. She's greatly troubled. It, it describes kind of an, an upsetting of her equilibrium, right? Whether, whether at an emotional level or feelings or expectations, right? This is, this is turning things upside down, stirred and, and troubled within her spirit. I mean, think about the, the message here. It says, you have found favor with the Lord. The Lord is with you. 
right? A, a good and pious Jew of the first century would not even use the name of God because it was so holy. And now Mary is being told that this one, the Lord himself, is with her and has favor for her. But the verb that follows the, the, the troubling or upsetting part of this news for Mary says that Mary also wondered what kind of greeting this was. Another way to, to parse out that verb would be to say she reckoned thoroughly with the message. She, she tried to, the, the word can mean to sort of balance two things out that seem conflicting or, or, or need to be reconciled. She tried to balance out her understanding of God and his holiness and his purposes in history with what the angel has just said about her individually, specifically. And what I, what I think is impressive is that Mary doesn't resist the good news. She doesn't diminish it. She doesn't try to, to explain it away. I feel like verse 29 is describing this kind of exercise where she's, she's stretching her mind and her intellect and her soul to have space to receive this message. Right, I, I, like, I like that mix. It says she is troubled, but she's troubled with wonder. Those things go together. She's troubled with wonder because of the content of this message. Gabriel says that the news God has for Mary is favor toward her, but it's bigger than just her. It's a favor that will result in a son of the Most High, in a king and a kingdom coming to the earth. Gabriel says, this royal proclamation, right? Most of these verses describe kingdom language. And we would imagine that that should be pronounced to Herod in his palace or, or among the, you know, the leaders of the land. But instead, Gabriel says, these announcements are directed to her because they will begin with Mary. And in particular, they will begin in her womb. The king and the kingdom and that which will bring shalom in the reign of God on the earth, Gabriel says, must first gestate within Mary. Must first be, be birthed through her body must be cared for and nursed by her and mothered by her and reared by her. And that process, the process of childbirth, the process of raising children, is also one that's full of trouble and wonder. Right? Those things go together. There are quite a few of you, as you heard during the children's sermon, who've had young children in the past year or two. And whether you experienced that directly or, or witnessed that as part of this community. Right? Childbirth, those first few years of childhood, it, it's incredible how they cause parents to kind of lay aside everything that's come before in order to accommodate this new life. Our sleep gets interrupted. Our meal times get interrupted. Our work gets interrupted. Our travel plans get interrupted. Our whole way of life and rhythm of life is turned upside down. It's, it's 
troubled and upset. But it's an interruption that parents and communities submit to because there's something growing, there's something maturing as the process unfolds, right? And so the good news Gabriel gives Mary here is that a king and a kingdom are coming and it will be upsetting, it will be troubling, it will be hard to understand. But these things, Gabriel says, will be growing inside of her. And so Mary submits to that news. She receives that news. And the gospel that Advent proclaims to all of us is the same one. It's that the kingdom of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is meant to begin growing in us, to take residence in us. Paul prays in Galatians 4, Christ is meant to be formed in us. He uses the language of of childbirth and conception there. And that news has to upset our equilibrium. It has to, to clear out our schedule. We need space in our lives to welcome that kind of pronouncement. To reckon thoroughly with how Jesus takes up residence in us. And so I want to finish by noting how Mary does that. How does Mary begin to make space? How does Mary begin to receive this vocation of bringing a king and a kingdom into her own person? Look at verses 34 through 38. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So how is it that we're meant to receive this message of Advent, this gospel of Advent? Well, I said earlier, I think it's helpful to lay Mary and Zachariah's story side by side. He said that both of them are visited by Gabriel. Both of them get surprising news from Gabriel. Gabriel, And both of them ask a question in reply to Gabriel. If you go back and look at Zechariah's story, you'll see that when Zechariah is promised this child he's longed for, this child they've struggled to conceive for decades, when he's given the promise, his question back to Gabriel is, how can this be? How can this be? Is it even possible? I think Zechariah's question is a question of honest doubt. Zechariah is not yet ready to trust that news. Not yet. So Gabriel gives him those nine months to let it settle in. And that's where Gabriel was at and how Gabriel worked with Zechariah. But Mary's question... Here, her reply to Gabriel 
differs only one word from Zacharias. Instead of asking, how can this be? Mary asks, how will this be? And I think that one individual word demonstrates a different interior landscape within Mary's person, within her soul, within her readiness to trust what God is doing. I think her mind is probably still very much troubled and perplexed at how a, a virginal motherhood works. Right? I, don't, I don't think there's any way she could conceive or understand what that meant yet. But in her reply here, it's evident that her, her will is ready to receive whatever comes next. And what comes next, Gabriel says, is in verses 35 through 37. What comes next is the power of God to reorder what's possible. And so the way Gabriel answers the how, in the how will this be, is with the power of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel makes clear that what Mary's being asked to do or invited to be part of, to bring about a new life within her, it's not actually Mary's work to do. It's the promise of God. It's the power of God. It's the presence of God coming upon Mary. And as the angel says in verse 37, and no word from God, no intention from God will ever fail. Right? Mary doesn't get lots of details about how this is going to happen. But what she is given Mary receives. And I love verse 38. She says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So so Mary is presented with this troubling, this wonder-inducing, this disruptive news. And Mary's response is one of pure hospitality, pure welcome. She prays most literally that the word of God which has come to her would be born in her is what this this verb can mean or be created in her or come into being in her. Think about it this way. Mary's body, Mary's life, Mary's soul becomes the sight of Advent, right? She will become the place where God chooses to make himself flesh inside of her. And that corresponds with this prayer of reception here. And so what about, what about us? Do we believe that that same promise, that same message, that same word is given to us? So as we move into a time of reflection, in a moment we'll have some time to to listen and pray as we collect our tithes and offerings. Let me invite you to consider how Mary responds here and how we might be called to receive as well. Is the announcement at Advent that God has a rule and a reign and a king and a kingdom meant to grow in us? Have we received it or has that message been lost among all the others this month? Have we received the message that God is for us and with us? 
If we receive the message that the life of Jesus has to grow in us, needs to have space to take root in us, and have we received the message that his word will accomplish what it intends to do for everyone who receives it. Take some time to receive the message God has for us today.